You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jen from Frugal Friends. I'm Andy Wong. I'm Joe Salcihai, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. I didn't really think about the ambulances speeding by till I caught sight of the mangled car abutting the embankment right after the entrance to Lakeshore Drive. My heart started racing and the sweat pouring as I remembered losing control of my car on the expressway on a blustery winter morning 15 years ago. The snow hadn't been plowed and I slid right into a semi truck at 40 miles per hour. Luckily, I wasn't hurt. Though, I still, to this day, get anxious about passing trucks in the rain and snow. We've all been through several types of trauma, some of them financial. We've lived through recessions and felt the burn personally or through the stories of our parents or grandparents. When we start to think about an upcoming economic downturn, many of our hearts start to race, our chests start to pound, similar to how I felt this morning driving down Lakeshore Drive. Yet, I can protect myself against hazardous driving conditions. I can buy a super safe car, use snow tires, or wait till the snow is properly plowed to travel. I can winterproof my car, my life, but can I do the same with my money? Can we recession-proof our finances? Jen Smith is a blogger behind Modern Frugality and co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Frugal Friends. Andy Wang is a managing partner of Runnymede Capital Management and host of Inspired Money. He has been named among the Investopedia 100 Most Influential Advisors. And Joe Salcihai is the creator of the ever-popular Stacking Benjamins podcast and author of Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. Joe, Jen, Andy, welcome to Earn and Invest. Jen, I want to start with you. Talk about some dumb money moves you've made in the past during an economic downturn or the fear of an economic downturn. So I don't mean to like de-age myself, but our last 2008 recession, I, I left my fully paid program at a state school and chose to go to a private college for a master's that I had to pay to finish my bachelor's at and then spend $50,000 to get a degree that would lead me to a profession that wouldn't make more than like $35,000 a year. So I didn't it look hindsight wasn't a great de- a great idea, but I'd never been through a recession before. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know I was making a bad idea, bad choice. So that was mine. 
Andy, she made an interesting point. She said our last recession, 2008, but admittedly, we had a baby recession, right, in 2020. (laughs) Andy, talk to me about how we define recessions. Like people say, A, you can't even define a recession until it's passed already, or at least it started already. And people have all sorts of ways of of looking at the numbers. What, What is a recession to you? Recession to me, well, as I read it in the newspaper, they tell me that two negative quarters of GDP growth qualifies as a recession. But then there are some subtleties that the different powers that be look at. So it's not, it's not just black and white. And therefore, there are different things to account for, I suppose. Anything, Andy, that you specifically, when you see it, you say, uh-oh, we're headed for trouble. Well, for me, I'm looking at GDP growth. I look at corporate earnings. And I think today, it's tricky to say whether or not we're in a recession. I think many people on Main Street say without a doubt, I feel we're in a recession. The cost of gas and food are up. I have less money to spend. Sure, jobs may be a plenty at the moment, but there are plenty of people who have been going through layoffs. And we're starting to see in the credit numbers, right? Credit card companies are starting to see at certain levels that consumers are using credit to pay for their, for their uh, daily expenses. So that's not a good sign. But there was a really good article, I think it was in the New York Times, talking about how this recession seems to be very different. Because usually, demand is down, and therefore companies are not hiring. And in this case, companies are saying that they can't hire, they can't find people to fill the jobs, and there's a lot of demand. So is it a recession or not a recession? It's tricky. Joe, answer that question. Is it a recession or is it not a recession? And if it's not a recession, is one coming? Look in your crystal ball for us. Well, we... the, the the quick answer to that is that's above my pay grade. And frankly, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? The question is, is, is this crappy? And the answer is yes. And I feel like whenever there's a true recession or a false recession, whatever the semantics are, is this a crappy time? Yeah, I go to the grocery store, it feels crappy. I go to the gas pub, it feels crappy. Only thing that that really is working for me is if if I'm the average person, I have a job right which is which is not usual and to to Andy's point consumers are still buying stuff like you look at the disney theme parks are packed with people paying a bajillion dollars to a mouse right now there's still bunches of people that are that are at the grocery store at the gas pump like i'm not seeing a slowdown in consumer spending which is where i think andy's point is is huge which is we're starting to see these credit card balances notch up when, when I uh, spoke recently with a gentleman from TransUnion, he said the cool thing about the American consumer was during, during COVID times, when we had all of this stimulus money that, that came into the market, people like me, I thought people were going to do stupid stuff with this money. Like we were just going to blow this cash. The cool news is, is every study I've seen, not just TransUnion, but every study I've seen shows people did really good stuff with it. Credit card balances were lower. They paid off their debt. They put it toward their mortgage. They, they, they made their emergency funds better. 
And so things got better. And I feel like we're burning that right now, right? I think what's happening is we're all burning this goodwill we gave ourselves because we haven't, we haven't come to the realization that because things are different at the grocery store than they were a year ago, I can't shop the same. Like I have to make some changes and I feel like we're not. Jen, I'm interested in this idea of changes because part of me says, we're on the cusp of a recession, or maybe we're even in the middle of a recession and we need to change our ways. But then the other part of me says, when you're on the cusp of a recession is the exact wrong time to start making big decisions because you're like me when I was about to get in that car accident or seeing a car accident, your heart's racing, your blood's pumping, and you're being emotional and not necessarily making the cleanest or clearest of decisions. Should we be changing our plans now or should we have created a great plan in the first place? that I'm kind of struggling with this idea. I think it's both. So for big, higher level decisions, it's not the time to change those because those should account for things like recessions, market corrections, stuff like that. An emergency fund should account for a job loss, whether we're in a recession or not. But it is time to make changes in the day-to-day. So where you were treating yourself to going out to dinner three times a week, that should be lowered to one or two times. Or (laughs) I was just listening to Joe's episode with Len Penzo on the sandwich study. And it's like (laughs) where you were bringing BLTs to work, maybe you should think about turkey and cheddar. So like it's the small decisions that we should start thinking more intentionally about where we're in in economic times where we have the money where we have more disposable income then we don't have to place such an like an intense importance on that stuff but when things are unsure that's when you need to refocus and reset and just spend a you know a little bit of time honing in on these expenses Andy, I love this idea of changing some of those smaller daily decisions as opposed to changing the big financial plan issues. I've saved all of us and our listeners the work of going through a bunch of articles and put in recession-proofing your finances into Google and came up with a number of great articles. And I've condensed them here today because I feel like there are a few big topics I want to talk about. One that came over up over and over again as I looked at these articles is emergency funds. So Andy, I'm going to start by asking you what's appropriate for an emergency fund. And then Joe, we're going to follow up with if that should change if you think a recession is coming. So first and foremost, Andy, you know, what what is the number nowadays that we all <laughs> like there's got to be one number we all agree agree on. I don't know if we're all going to agree, but you know, the, like general rule of thumb, it's like three months to six months of your expenses. I think for a lot of people who don't have one, just just starting one is the win because then you can start getting some some momentum. It's it's like put $100 aside and then you've got something and it's going to start building. Yeah, that's that's what I've got. Do you guys agree or disagree? I mean, yeah, I I think 3 to 6. I think maybe the only thing I would change in light of a recession is that Typically, starter emergency funds are not meant to cover job loss. They're typically just meant to cover a a quick emergency, one to two thousand dollars, something you couldn't cash flow if it happened like with your regular income. But if you are in a job that may be more 
in the industry of disposable income, like travel or hospitality, food industry, that may then it may be time to beef up that starter emergency fund to something more like three to six months of expenses, bare, bare bones expenses. Joe, it's an interesting question because I have to admit, when I think of emergency fund, I agree. I don't think of that as replacing income. I think of that as an unexpected healthcare cost or you know, you blew all the tires on your car. Maybe the point with a recession is you need an emergency fund and also a replacement income fund for three to six months. This is so funny. About six months ago, I had this discussion with my co-host, OG. And I said, you know what? Back when I was a financial planner, we always called this a cash reserve. We didn't call it emergency fund. It was a cash reserve. And then I switched over to the financial media side, working with a bunch of DIYers, and they all call it an emergency fund. So my vernacular changed. And I realized emergency fund is wrong. Cash reserve is right, because I want to use it if I go on Google Flights and I find this killer opportunity. Like one of the questions we always get is, can I spend my emergency fund if I see something on sale or if I see this opportunity? To ch-? Yes, absolutely. Or, you know, the people that say back the truck up when the market goes down, you know, then I want to put a little more in right now. Well, yes. But if it's just an emergency fund, I don't do that. So I, I actually, I actually told OG, I'm like, you know what? I'm changing it back guys. <laughs> Going back. And 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 OG says to me, he goes, So this is the hill you're willing to die on. Like this is the <laughs> dramatic, dramatic change in Joe's life. I'm like, yes, this is they're gonna put this on my tombstone. Wow. Yeah, Joe Joe makes a good point. I, I like cash reserves. I think the financial services industry makes the point that you shouldn't be changing the asset mix of your portfolio that frequently, especially when it comes to cash. But I think those who do, like if we if we think back to 2008, Starbucks, right? We all know Starbucks. Starbucks stock went down to $4 a share. So just like Joe was talking about an airfare that you can't resist, I think that there are great companies that go on huge, like sort of, major cycle sales. And that doesn't happen that frequently. If you have cash reserves, you can take advantage of those opportunities. I've always liked that, Andy, when there's a drug company whose latest drug, like Eli Lilly, and their latest drug doesn't get approval. And the I'm going to call them morons because Eli Lilly is going to be around later on, right? Eli Lilly is going to be okay if this one drug doesn't go well. But what happens that day? The drug, the, the stock goes through the floor. Like I've used those. I'm not a short-term stock trader, but those seem like obvious places where I love having a little extra money to to put into this stock. I mean, I'll give you another example. Being a guy from Detroit, the day before Ford's earnings came out, they announced that they were hiring a bunch more people. And I just I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, <laughs> everybody in the Ford Tower knows what earnings are going to be tomorrow. You're not going to announce today you're hiring a bunch more people if tomorrow your earnings are going to be crappy. So I went and put some money into Ford stock that day. And believe it or not, shocker, they announced phenomenal earnings and things were really good. But you could see it from this other point of view they did. And I I, I made some good money that day. But I, but I, I like what Andy's saying. Although I don't like the, I, I don't want to come across that we should be betting on the stock market all the time because that could go very badly. It might be why I lost so much hair. You just don't like $9 lattes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, to bring it around 
to emergency funds and cash reserves again. I think for the beginner, I think emergency fund is good terminology because if you're used to spending mindlessly or frivolously, it takes that savings fund. It, it defines what that savings fund is. If you're a 201, good with finances, know what you're doing, want to invest, I think cash reserve is good. Or if you're an oversaver, I think cash reserve is good terminology because it puts it into perspective of what that money could be used for. So I think it's all just in your the perspective of the user. No matter what you call it, I will say this though. I've been arguing for the past decades with, just to put a little snark on it, know-it-alls on the internet who tell me having an emergency fund or a cash reserve is ridiculous because you always have your line of credit, right? You have your line of credit or you have, <laughs> yeah. you have your job. You got to you can, you can whatever. And it's funny because most of these people I notice from their profiles when I'm arguing with them online, they haven't been through a big downturn. And once you've been through a big downturn, especially one, not like what we've seen yet, but when people start losing their jobs, the last time you want to go to your credit is when you've lost your job. Like there's no way you want to go to your credit. So it's times like now that I, that I, I, kind of wish I kept a list of all those people and <laughs> did the Dr. Phil of how's that working for you? I love this idea though. And, and you guys have all brought this up is this idea that we can toggle the emergency fund really based on what we think our income service sources are, right? So if you are an incredibly stable job or have an incredibly stable income source, then yeah, maybe you are backing the truck up and, and picking up some of those those stocks that are cheap. On the other hand, if the economy goes down and so does your job with it, you might want to have a little sterner emergency fund slash cash reserves. Andy, so we, we were talking about the emergency fund. Something else I see often coming up, obviously, in a bunch of these articles about recession-proofing our finances is budgeting, right? This is the time to start looking at saving and spending, et cetera. That's kind of obvious. We talked about that already. But almost every article uses a term that I was hoping that you could help us understand or define. Often they say we should stress test or test drive. They'll say our savings, our retirement, our budget. What does that mean exactly? How do we stress test our financials? Because you know that that's what everyone is telling us to do in preparation for this recession that's coming in. And I want to understand what that means like detailed wise. Honestly, I don't really know what that means because <laughs> I hear it applied to like stress testing your investment portfolio. Like in insurance companies and pension funds will do that where they can, one, they can look historically through past market corrections. How would that portfolio have done? What was the downside risk? They can do it in like current times, looking at interest rates and based on their diversification, what kind of downside risk they might face. For a personal household budget, how do you stress test other than to, I think, really take a kind of deep dive into your finances to see where are you spending? Uh, and maybe hypothetically, if you were to lose your income, what would like what are what would the scenarios look like and what is plan A, plan B, plan C? That that's yeah. my guess. I, I think you can stress test it by like obviously making your bare bones budget. Cause let's think of in terms of, I lose my job. 
I'm only going to be spending money while I'm looking for a job, at least until I get a new job, I will only be spending money on the bare necessities because that's a requirement. That's an emergency. So creating that budget. And I think a stress test would be testing, like if you can actually live off of it, if it's realistic, the problem with that is that if you still have a job, you are not going to be motivated enough to actually truly stress test a budget like that. I think a good alternative might be to do a no spend challenge where you essentially kind of are stress testing a bare bones budget, but you're doing it in a way where you're looking for the things that you really can live without. Like what are the subscriptions or the mindless habitual purchases that I can really live without? That's going to help me leading up to a potential job loss. I'll be saving money. And then what are the things I truly value? What are the things that really make my week, make my day that when I give up, I really want to add back in and make my bare bones budget sustainable. So if you do that and you do it by choice for like one month and you're like, okay, now I know some things I can totally get rid of. Now I know the things that I want to keep that will serve you leading up and you can save more money, beef up that emergency fund. So when God forbid a job loss does potentially occur, you're already kind of living in this values-based spending mindset. So it makes the real test of the bare bones budget a little better. And you have a little extra in savings you wouldn't have had otherwise. Joe, are we too lenient with ourselves when we run these scenarios through our head? I mean, this is one of the big complaints with the FIRE movement is when people look at their financial independence number, they fudge, right? They say, oh, I could deal with that. Oh, you know, I'd be fine. Um, do we do the same thing when we're doing these so-called stress tests on our on our numbers? Sure we do. And and the key there is in our head, right? We just have it in our head. And we're like, well, I could live without that. I could live without that. What happened when I was a financial planner was people would come into my office to be super excited about getting on this budget plan. They would always make them bare bones. To Jen's point, they would always make them super bare bones. We're going to eat ramen every night. It's going to be great. We're going to build up this huge amount of money and they'll do it for like two weeks, maybe three weeks. And then they they go, if it's a couple, they look at each other and they high five each other because they've been so good. And to celebrate, they go buy a big screen TV and they blow it all, right? <laughs> all this money they save, they blow it. And it's because there's no shock absorber in the system. There's no outlet valve, those things that Jen talks about that you love. So doing it in your head versus play testing it, I think is I think is where the rubber meets the road. Andy, in a lot of these articles, I'm throwing this under kind of the budget category, but a lot of them made this its own category. They say this is a great time to really start working on your resume. Even think of education, like in light of the possibility of a recession, how much of this can we wither it by tightening up our skills or making ourselves more profitable maybe to the economy that's coming? Well, I think you can never, you can never err on the side of investing in yourself time and time again. We hear about you have to invest in yourself, and it's going to make you more marketable in any economic environment. You know, whether it's a recession or not, it's good to be upping your skills. And you, you have to remember to be having those conversations with your employer on an ongoing basis, because I think too often we think that it's just review time. And that's when we have these conversations. But the experts have told us time and time again. 
you have to have this ongoing conversation with your manager and making the case of what value are you adding? What skills are you building? Because you want to improve your value to the company and your pay. Jen, going back to school, is this a horrible time to go back and get that master's? I think it's a great time. I mean, especially if you're in a volatile profession, in a profession you don't want to be in. I mean, they say millionaires are made in recessions and it's not just through investing. I mean, if, I mean, it's times like these, like I was laid off eight weeks before I gave birth to my son and I was forced out of this job that was really safe, had the benefits and it forced me to take my like side hustle that was freelance writing to, to take it full time. And that was a huge, a huge gift. I, it's a leap I may not have been able to make if I had to make it on my own. And so it's in these times of what feels like maybe loss or challenge or setbacks that really force us to get creative and give us the space to think, what do I want from life? Because we're, we very rarely give ourselves that space. We're just moving through the motions, usually providing for our family, getting through making, paying the bills. So it can give you that opportunity to be like, hey, this recession, this period of inflation isn't going to last forever. Where do I want to be on the other side of it? And it can, it can force you into that space. That's where I just like, I just like the idea, you know, you're talking earlier about up, uh, updating your resume. I just like updating your resume regularly, regardless for that reason, because if you're focused on how do I earn a living and when you're looking at your resume, you're thinking aspirationally about what do I want to do next? And I think if we, you know, too many people in dead end jobs, they don't love. I think if you're always updating your resume, you're thinking, am I learning the skills that I need in the place where I am? And if I'm not earning those skills right now, what can I do differently at my current job to do that? And if there's no possibility to do that, then it's time to move on. We are talking to Joe Salcihai. He's the creator of the ever-popular Stacking Benjamins podcast. Jen Smith is a blogger behind Modern Frugality. And Andy Wong is the managing partner at Runnymede Capital Management. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Yo, taking stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life has now been out two weeks. Audible has been out one week. I'm getting all sorts of great feedback. If you have read the book, please go to Amazon and leave a review. This is the way people are going to decide whether to buy it or not. If you want to see me in person, I'm going to be in Longmont, Colorado. August 19th is our book launch party there. Unfortunately, all the tickets are sold out. I say sold out, but they were for free. Uh, But I'm sure there'll be some tickets that open up. So if you're still interested, let us know. I also am going to do an event probably in San Diego in early October, right before the Camp Fi Southwest. So I'm hoping to see some of you there. I've been kicking around the idea of also doing a book launch party in Chicago. I'm wondering if anyone is interested. So if you are interested, please let me know. It has been so exciting to launch Taking Stock to get everybody's feedback. I just got an email from someone who wants to buy books for his residency program in family medicine. I'm excited to get this book out to people. If you have a book club and want me to speak at it, I'd be more than happy to zoom in. I'm just so excited that everyone is getting a chance to read this pretty much work that I've spent the last few years doing mixing my life as a hospice doctor with that of a personal finance blogger and podcaster. And I can't wait to share it with all of you. Now let's get back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. Joe Salcihai is the author of Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management. Jen Smith is the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Frugal Friends. And Andy Wong was named by Investopedia as one of the 100 most influential advisors. Andy, let's talk about our portfolio. Recessions scare us. They scare those of us who have a lot of money in the stock market. Is now the time to start considering adjusting your portfolio? I think a lot of this comes down to age and what your objective is. Because if you're in your 20s, it looks very different than if you're in your 30s, than if you're in your 40s or 50s, versus if you are retired. An argument can be made. The younger you are, the less you should be doing. To just have a stock portfolio and leave it undisturbed, the longer you have to invest, you can afford to go through the volatility and the gyrations of the market. Because 40, 50 years down the road from now, the market should be higher. If you're retired and you're on a fixed income, you're really doing analysis to see how long is my nest egg going to last me? And you're very concerned about a 40% market correction or a 20% market correction, because that's going to have a very real impact on right next year's expense forecast for how much money you have to spend before you start dipping into your principal. So I think that the answer is, it depends. Uh, You can always make some adjustments. I mean, going back to our discussion about cash reserves, there are those who want to build up cash reserves and then redeploy those cash reserves. There are others whose investment strategy is to leave it fully invested. So I think for those who want to make some changes, yes, you can make some changes 
ahead of a recession because certain sectors tend to outperform during a recession and you can protect yourself. Should you go to more bonds than stocks? Should you go towards utilities or consumer staple companies? I think that there are ways to recession-proof. The question is, how much do you want to tinker? I also think that it, it depends. I agree totally with everything Andy said. I think it depends on which way you're going. I think that during this time frame, there's a lot less risk. If you think, based on your plan, that you should be moving up the risk ladder, that all the things Andy said are true, I think this is a good time to move up the risk ladder. But that's not the that's not what most people are hearing in your question, Doc. Most people are hearing, is this a time for me to lower my risk because things are really bad? This is a super dangerous time to lower the risk in your portfolio. But I want to first off, just make it clear that it all should be based on your plan and when you need the money because Andy nailed that. If you're just taking more risk and you need the money very soon because you think it's a it's a good time to, you know, you're betting on the market going up in the next year. That is dumb. But if you know, based on your plan, you've been too conservative and you've been thinking about for a long time or your buyer's been telling you whatever it is that you should take more risk. Wonderful time, I think, to do that. Jen, I worry that the emotions cloud our ability to make such defined decisions that both Joe and Andy are talking about. One of the ways around that, I guess, is the written investment plan. Talk about how important that is, a written investment plan for a recession. And and can you actually write in directions of what to do during a recession into your investment plan? Well, buy low, sell high, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. So everyone should, I think, more than an investment plan should have a life plan that should also incorporate a plan for increasing your income or a plan for what you want to do beyond work. And I think that will influence how you invest. I, you know, I'm much more on the spending side than the, when, when to diversify your portfolio or how to diversify it. But I think people sometimes, especially when they're focusing too much on just the invest, 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 really lose sight of the perspective of like, what's enough? What is enough? What do I actually need invested? And so when you can define that, what, what look, what it looks like on the life side, then you can more actually, more accurately kind of like redefine in times like this. Okay. Should I be more conservative? Should I be more adventurous? So I think it, it, if you're going to write an investment plan, you also need to also write a plan for everything else in your life. Joe, sometimes we talk about these things, it comes dangerously close to this idea of timing the market. And, you know, you talk to people, especially in our circles, and that phrase timing the market is a very negative thing, right? On the other hand, you know, can we read the tea leaves somewhat? Is it okay to say, I'm looking at what's happening right now, and I am, in a sense, going to try to time my investments in order to make more money? No. No. Period. Full stop. Don't do it. Because even if you're right, you generally, and especially if you're right when you're taking your money out, you got to be right twice. Got to be right when you take your money out, right when you put your money back in. And even if you're getting in, if you need money in the stock market in the next 12 months, you look at the chance of gain in any normal market and who the hell knows what's going to happen. It is very close to a casino in a one-year period. 
in a 10-year period, it looks great. In a 20-year period, it looks kick-ass. Like equities look fantastic. So if you've got 20 years, yeah, notch up the risk. If you've got 12 months, take that money, go down to your local casino, put it on black or red. You choose because your your chances are fairly close to the same. So you're saying I should revise my investment plan of buy low, sell high, and just put it on blackjack. If it says buy low, sell high in the next 30 days, Jen, yes. Okay. Great. All right. Just checking. Which is why my story about Ford earlier was dangerous, right? (laughs) Just this idea that, that, hey, I think I know what the Ford executives are thinking, but help me think this through, Andy, because again, I get stuck on this idea. Is am I trying to time the market or am I being savvy based on the idea that I know the market's going down and this is something I could plan for? I am backing the truck up, right? Because I know this is a good buying opportunity. I start to wonder if maybe the difference is whether that's part of your investment plan or not, right? So if you have a written investment statement, that can include things like, if my income is stable, I will increase my investments by 10% every month during a downturn or something to that extent. Would that make it less timing the market? Yeah, it's really tough, right? Because it's what do we call it? (laughs) Market timing is always said with a very negative connotation. But then when it comes to buying a stock, buying a car, even getting a job, like the phrase, Timing is everything. Like that's not negative. So I, I'm going to differ a little bit from from Joe here. I think that you can on the fringe. I think when it comes to your investments, usually it's very bad to be all or nothing. But I think that you can make a tilt on the fringe, meaning that it's okay to to raise some cash reserves if your timing's off. I liken it to I'll use a weather analogy. I think that sometimes there's a hurricane warning. And if you live in Florida or even here in the Northeast where I am, if there's a hurricane warning, there are times when we board up our windows and you evacuate and you wait until the sun comes out. Sometimes the storm doesn't come. And then you say, okay, I can take the the, the boards down and I'm glad that we avoided it. But if the storm came, I took some measures to protect my house and protect my safety. I think that with a portfolio, you can make some adjustments in order to protect to protect yourself. You may not always be right, so there's going to be some opportunity costs. There is some sacrifice. But for a retiree or even for a nonprofit organization that doesn't want to negatively impact the grants that they're making, sometimes it pays to make those defensive steps. I agree with you, actually, Andy. I'm just saying I think it's more it's more dangerous, and your chance of loss is this is a time where where people think it's the time of greatest loss. I find it to be more the time of greater opportunity. So of the two, I feel like notching up the risk, which nobody thinks about, is is an easier move. I think that if you're going to be defensive, I think you'd agree that that the way you play defense has to be kind of. I don't know, stylized. I mean, it has to be very, you have to be more precise about how you're going to play defense. Doc G, I, I don't disagree that if you look at the historical performance of many professional money managers, the track record is not there. It's very difficult to be correct, not just once, but twice or multiple times. To be correct consistently is nearly impossible. 
and it is very challenging. So maybe the answer is not trying to time the market precisely. You're not trying to pick a bottom. I always say that picking the bottom is a process, not a point. But maybe the approach is to earmark a percentage of your portfolio for you know, tactical investment strategies, because there are ETFs that are tactical. They rotate between stocks and US treasuries. There are alternate, alternative investments that should be not correlated with the stock market. So maybe there are ways to, to, to play it on the fringe, but not, not requiring the investor to be making a call one way or the other. Jen, to pivot, we were talking about hurricanes and Florida. It pulls up this idea of another type of risk we deal with and risk mitigation. Is the midst of worrying about a recession a good time to start looking at your insurances and start reevaluating your numbers there and whether everything's in order? Well, it's funny because I do live in Florida and (laughs) I did have a tree fall on my house during Hurricane Irma, but we did board up the house. And I was very thankful to have a a thorough home insurance policy. I mean, it was it's required. We live in Florida, but yeah, I mean, it is time to look at insurances, make sure you have the ones that you are comfortable with that that give you the coverage that you need. And then also looking at the the prices and the deductibles, making sure, can I still afford this monthly cost? Should I lose my job? Because that's going to, it's going to increase quite a bit when you move to Cobra. It's So it's just kind of looking at this stuff and preparing that maybe I need to make a change, maybe just for a year, you know, in November, but it is a great time to be looking at that. And I love the boarding up the windows analogy because it just gave me a flashback. Just too real. <laughs> Sorry about your tree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Joe, I want to round out the conversation by talking about something a little different. We've been talking about common sense, budgeting, your career, your investments. I want to talk about something a little bit different. Let's talk about mental health. I mean, there's a lot of fear out there, a lot of talking about worries about recession and inflation and what's happening with interest rates. How do we take care of ourselves? Like, how do we move forward in this to what some people feels like a very scary environment? I think the best thing to do financially, you know, without being a psychologist, I think there's definitely things that professionals can recommend. But just from a former financial planner point of view, I think that a plan that with a lot of if-then statements is a nice way to help you sleep at night. Because if you work through the if-thens, if a tree falls on my house, here's what here's what I do. Or even less than that, you know, if a hurricane comes through Hurricane Alley where I live and my name is Jen Smith, here's what my strategy would be. You know, they talk about how comforting it is for a family. We have a guy on Stacking Benjamins every year from UL, those people that, you know, it says UL listed on your electronics. They do a whole thing about fire safety every year, about closing your doors. And the number of listeners we've had that have told us that just doing fire safety as a family calms everybody down. You know, because we know that if something happens to us, we know where the exits are that we're going to. We're not gonna we're not gonna be as worried as if you know the fire happens. We know at some point 
fire is going to hit. I mean, and by a fire, I just mean something bad's going to happen. It might not be a tree falling around your house or a fire, but bad things are going to happen. I think if you work through those if-then scenarios ahead of time, you're much more likely to be calm under pressure. Andy, do you think we overestimate in our minds how bad a recession is going to be or how long it's going to last? It seems to me historically, they're usually not as bad nor last as long as we think they're going to be. Yeah. If it's about perspective, it's cyclical, right? The economy is cyclical. This is supposed to be a normal occurrence. I'll say that because of Federal Reserve policy, lowering interest rates to like emergency levels for things like Y2K and then the financial crisis, the cycle has just gotten longer. Like historically, we saw bear markets and recessions every four years on average. I think that that's lengthened to maybe once every 10 years. So it doesn't happen as often. Yet two things with the with the things that have been mentioned so far, Jen said that millionaires are made during recessions. And it reminded me of Joe Polizzi, who founded Content Marketing World, who I interviewed on Inspired Money. He, he talks about finding opportunities during difficult times. He started a company, grew a company, and was able to sell it for multi-millions of dollars. He made his fortune. Another thing that he mentions and talks about is unplugging. I think when it when it comes to mental health, watching the new, watching the news today and reading the headlines is very like it makes one very anxious. And Joe Polizzi talks about unplugging for he does it for like an entire month. But it's something that I did this summer. I went camping for like four days and was in a spot that had very bad reception for cell phone. So it was a little bit not voluntary, but. I would say that it was very refreshing mental health wise that I was kind of cut off from reading the news and hearing all the noise because this 24 seven news cycle, it's anxiety producing for sure. Jen, I think if I get the decade right, maybe it was the nineties where Oprah Winfrey was all into the secret. Do you remember what the secret was? It was positive visualization. You had your your vision board and and you saw things were going to work out well, so they would work out and you, you would see in your mind what you wanted. Recently, I interviewed Vitaly Katznelson, who wrote the book Soul in the Game, and we talked about the Stoics and how the, their philosophy relates to finances. And they do the exact opposite, right? So they do negative visualization. What they do is they visualize the worst possible case scenario and become comfortable with what that would look in their life and what would come from it. And I'm wondering if we could say the same thing about recessions in a roundabout way. I guess what I'm asking is, shouldn't we be planning for a recession all the time? Like not just now when maybe we're on the cusp of one, but shouldn't this be a regular negative visualization we do to start getting familiar with what we're going to need during these situations? Yeah, I think we should be coming to terms with what these things are and that they do happen so that we can take the fear out of them. We interviewed Megan Rebuse from Family Finance Mom, who's brilliant. And she kind of went over what a recession is, what inflation is. And by the end of it, it was super, it, it left us really hopeful for what happens throughout a recession and after a recession. And I think just because it painted a realistic picture of, of the economic definitions and saying like, this isn't a a death sentence to to your job, 
to your finances, to anything. It's just a phase that the economy goes through. And so I think knowledge is really powerful. And just having that perspective of, okay, this happens. But if we are not being challenged, then we are not growing. So, and then I know that's a really like superficial way to to talk about a, a time where people could lose their livelihoods. But knowing that challenges force us into periods of growth and creativity that otherwise we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves can be really hopeful. And so we choose to make really bad situations, either things that really bring us down or things that we work through and get better from. And so hopefully if you are thinking about it in that way, when the time does come, you'll know how to get through it with a bare bones budget so that you can give yourself mental space and energy to consider how can I grow from this and become better as a result. I just like the idea, Jen, of of downplaying it so it's a phase. Like like a recession's like a teenager. I'm just going through a phase. Like stay out of my room, mom. I'm going to raise inflation for a while. And we're going to get rid of some jobs. Slam your door, economy. Yeah, I like that. Is that like, is that your best summation? What we can tell people to deal with these coming fears of recession, Joe? Light lighten the mood a lot. Yeah. Hey, the, the, the economy is just being a teenager. You know, it's going to outgrow it. It's going to be fine. It'll be be all right. Growing pains. That's right. Yeah, I like this idea of like the negative. Like, what is the worst case scenario? But I've seen. I've seen that work and I've also seen it hold people back. I've talked to individuals who lived through the depression and they came out of it saying, I never want to own more than 25% of my portfolio in stocks because I saw how bad things can get and I never want to be there again. So in some ways that will protect them for the rest of their lifetime, that they're not going to go through another depression. But then on the flip side of that, there's an opportunity cost too, because they're not going to be as aggressive coming out of a coming out of a recession. And there are times, I think, if we talk about the cyclicality, it pays to be aggressive and then it pays to be defensive. So kind of two sides to that coin. Well, Andy, Joe, and Jen, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. You know, what I take from this conversation is We've got to be thoughtful about what a recession is, what it looks like, and we probably need to build an investment plan that takes those into consideration because most likely we're going to live through a bunch of them. I also think that emotionally and mentally, it's always best to assume that it will be much better than you think it will be. A, either you're right and you're better off or you're wrong, but it's not going to help you to worry about it now anyway. So we're kind of stuck in that catch-22. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and how people can reach you if they want to ask questions. Jen, let's start with you. What is up next with you and how can people reach out to you? Well, you can hear Frugal Friends podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast every Tuesday and Friday. Andy, what's up next and how can people reach out to you? What's up next? I'm still cautious on this stock market. We'll see how things play out. My firm, we issued a financial hurricane warning officially to clients on April on our, on our client conference call. 
we have yet to make an announcement that it's really time to start buying. So the next two, three quarters, I'm cautious. You can find me at inspiredmoney.fm. Check out the Inspired Money Show. Joe, I've heard it through the grapevine that you, as well as Stacking Benjamins, may be up for some awards coming up. Tell us what's happening and where people can find you. We are. What's up with that? But even more exciting, I think, is we're talking a little bit about the personal finance community. We have Nicole Lappin coming on. She's written several New York Times bestsellers. A Rich Bitch is one that I think a lot of people know. But Nicole went after Dave Ramsey on a recent episode of hers. And it just made me ask the question, with so few people listening to personal finance podcasts at all versus the the number of people out there, is it good when we nitpick on each other? Like, should we be picking at each other? I don't know. So we asked Nicole that and we come up with, I think, some really good answers. And speaking of picking at each other, Sam Doggan from Financial Samurai <laughs> comes on, a guy that a lot of people call a troll, a lot of people in your community call a troll. And I ask him the question using real things. I read to him things that people have said about him in your community, Doc G, and he answers them. And he's very, very thoughtful. And so we're talking to Financial Samurai. We're also talking about his new book, which I actually think is really good by this, not that. So that's coming up on Stacking Benjamins. We're stirring the pot. We're stirring the pot. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Andy Wong, Jen Smith, and Joe Salcihai. That's a wrap. All right. I usually keep it running just for our little chat chat afterwards. Um, I, I got to go. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.